When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. is that song that's my favorite part of the show now my name's tanya and thank you for joining us on this second episode of living hillsong a huge thank you to jeff for letting me share that tune with you and taking us all back to a time that for me seems like yesterday it just seems so real love it and a huge thank you to everybody for all the feedback and the messages and the comments it's just been really really wonderful and warm and lovely I know you're going to love episode two even more. We left off last time because I literally spilt my glass of water while David was telling us about the marriage he was in as part of Frank Houston's vision of the church. Let's start there where we left off. Here's part two of An Irresistible Drug, David's story. Now, where had your wife come from and how had she felt about this church? You'd known her at high school and then she's the girlfriend you'd taken that first night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She. Like I say, she was a few years older than me and was the older sister of a friend of mine. She was part of the vision as well? Yeah. She was there with Frank? She found it exciting. I think she probably was, you know, it's what I believed. So she's she's Northern Beaches girl, grown up on Northern Beaches with, like a lot of people on Northern Beaches, her family had been in a West. Her parents had grown up in a West and then moved as the area was developed and ridden away, the same kind of communities you've seen develop later on, say, Central Coast or Illawarra. So that makes me wonder then, as the housing market changed in Sydney and communities fell apart, that the working class in the city communities is, yeah, I wonder if churches came to fill those spaces. I think they did. You keep on playing guitar three times a Sunday. How long does that go for? A long time. 
Frank gets the vision that they will start off in, they'll move to the hills or it'll be one church meeting in two places was the line that was used. And that Brian, who is this dynamic was a word everybody used then, youth leader would be pastoring that church. But Frank would be alternating preaching Sydney at one week and then out there the following week. Because there's a fair bit of uh, conjecture about who started what where. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind or I'd say anybody's mind who was there at the time. Nothing in that church happened without Frank's permission, nothing. And the only person to have visions of growth or anything was Frank. If it did originate with someone else, then Frank would get the credit for it. And that was just accepted. He's he's pa, he's the bishop, he's Frank. So I always laugh when I hear contemporary Hillsong attempts to distance themselves from it. It was Frank setting up a new stage of growth in the in the empire. He was aware that People were moving to this area. It was developing. These are days before the M2 and and motorways out there. So it was a 90-minute drive from out there into town easily. It made great sense to get out there. Phil Pringle and C3 have got the Northern Beaches stitched up. Frank wasn't going to lose this area. Revival centres and and various old-school AGs were all ticking over in the south. Frank got in there and he would never trust any of these offsiders, other young men who are alongside him. But the only one he would trust with an empire like that is is Brian. His own son. And even that only because he can't be in two places at one time. So Frank plants the church in the hills area and puts Brian up front. Brian's going to be based out there, but Frank is going to be out there every second week, we're told. So they, if I say to you, Frank Houston started Hillsong, tell me how that rings. Yes, that's that's right. Frank started Hillsong. And any claims to the contrary, it's certainly not what I or anyone I knew thought at the time. And Frank had made this announcement. It was all very clear. We're starting up a church in the hills. We're starting up. We're going to be one church meeting in two places, the line that Frank used all the time. Yeah, there is absolutely no doubt that it was Frank starting it, as far as I'm concerned. We we couldn't have conceived of Brian starting (laughs) something. Things did not happen without Frank saying it was going to happen. And, I mean, who was Brian in that time? He was the youth pastor. He was, what, 25, early 20s at the time? I'd uh, say about 27. Because they'd only been there a couple of years, hey. It was only three or four yeah, years he'd been he, in the country. He'd come out earlier and then Frank had moved him around. He'd been at Central Coast and Liverpool and, and these sort of little AIG churches that CLC was already starting to take over there'd be this idea that you become part of the clc movement and we'll do all your publishing Mm. because clc had their own print house one of the first things he set up was his own print shop 
Frank. Yeah. Yes. And so you could get access to all of this and you could get musicians sent out to help you and you'd be under the CLC covering was the word. And, and so Brian's out at a couple of these places before then. The church is growing by then. It's 400 people pushing to five, which seemed phenomenal growth. I, I remember... I remember there was a big push for them. We'll have 600 people in home fellowships one Tuesday night and they just missed out the first week and then the second or third week they hit it and this was a major, oh, it was a sign, it was a miracle. Was this at Hills or? This was at, at Seal C in the city, at this C- just before they've split. Okay, that they started to push for growth or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now it was an interesting demographic split because the, uh, the middle class, the white conservatives were coming from further afield. It, there's an expression called strategic growth ministry and homogenous church growth were phrases mm. that were all bouncing around in those circles then. And that, that for churches to grow, they need to be a, a homogenous unit. And so it made a lot of sense for Frank to hive off these Hills people into that area. And apart from filling a gap. Yeah, as well as, was... <laughs> as well as filling a gap, it meant where you where you have the Pacific Islander having a demonic episode, as it was described in those days, in the back of the church. For every person like me who thinks that's cool and we're a cutting-edge church, there would have been people who were alarmed at that and I don't want to go into church and see that. And clutching their pearls, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so there was a way of splitting up those two groups that could keep Frank could have his cake and eat it. Who were Brian and Bobby to the church at that stage? Oh, this this wonderful young couple who are Frank's kids. But it's a little bit older than me, so I wasn't in that group, but I was friends with people who were in his group. And he was very much one of a group, one of a couple of people who were sort of junior camera people in in the ABC or teller in a in a building society young professionals is how they'd have described themselves but now I'd say that's probably a bit of a stretch and had he been preaching at Sydney church yeah he'd preach periodically once or twice a month I mean what did you make of him he was he was Brian he was one of us bit older, a bit more mature, a bit. He'd been to Bible study, Bible school, and he was Frank's son, but we, we were all Frank's sons. And it was very male-oriented. There'd be a whole other story to be told by the women there. Yeah. I, I one of the early flags, and I s- cut back my playing. There was a night, whatever the night, Wednesday night, be rehearsal night. The musicians and all the choir would be there as well and there was this big choir and I used to find it frustrating because most of the time would be spent in praise and worship or a bible study where one of the pastors on the may could be leading it and I you know I've got to play this Sunday well what are we playing well can I have a chord chart what are, what are we doing can we practice it and these things would go fairly late. So you sort of it's Tuesday night at home group, Wednesday night rehearsal. Well, there's one night that Frank was there and the choir had just come back from a tour and Frank was prophesying over people and speaking about it. And even then he started 
he started critiquing a woman who I, I didn't know and I knew nothing of the background, but it was just getting nasty. It was just a bit scary. and On a, on a public level? Yeah, yeah. She, she needs to be more humble and there's a bad spirit and all the usual Christian rhetoric, but I, I remember thinking this is just a bit a bit nasty. It was a bit like hearing Hazel go off at someone in the bookshop. It's <laughs> not like my vision of latter-day hippie <laughs> socialist all in together because Jesus is coming back soon. Right. <laughs> it was just a little cultic. And I remember just feeling a bit scared. And then we were getting sent to to play at the city sometimes or play at Hillsong. Well, to play at a nine o'clock service in, in Hillsong and live at Manly, I had to be in the car by 6.30 to be there in time to play. And you can't do that if you've worked till 3am the night before. You just physically can't do it. Yeah. And so I started pulling back from that. David Moyes, ex-air supplier, mm-hmm. has just become a Christian. So he's getting a lots of guitar work because he's they want him. And I'm still not playing piano. Jeff Bullock is the piano player in residence at Hills. And it just seemed right to step out and step back. And then, of course, they started up another satellite, which was CLC North Shore. And so living in Manly, we're kind of sent to that church and to be there. These are all set up by Frank. This is not Brian setting up, not dynamic Brian's young vision for leadership. Uh-uh. This was Frank. And we would have, it wouldn't have occurred to us to see anything but Frank. To say Brian starting this church would have been considered, there'd have been disciplinary action taken if you said that. That's a tight ship. Yeah, no, nah, this, this was not, this was nothing except Frank. Just on that woman that you were talking about before when, when Frank was doing the prophesying or whatever it might be called, when you said it was very male orientated, did you notice a difference between how men were treated and women? Oh, yes, it was It was as sexist as, well, it was as sexist as so much of society was in the 70s, early 80s, but mostly women were defined by who their husband was. And when I look at Brian and Bobby, it just reminds me of how things always were. They're very much a part of that. She's defined in terms of his ministry. Sure, yeah. she's got her ministry. Yes. But he's he's in charge. It's it's years later when I'd returned to the Sydney Anglicans, I started seeing the same thing over again with their bizarre view of gender-related leadership. And it, it was just the same as happened there. The difference, but perhaps that Frank and the AOG insisted that there was no problem with women being ordained. That's great. They didn't do it. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> God just never told them to do it. It's always amazing what God tells them and uh, yeah. what they know. How did that marriage go? You didn't elaborate. My marriage. That marriage was part of a vision. It morphed through. It staggered through me going to the CLC Bible College in 86 and 87, which a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And when you encourage someone to read a little theology, if they start reading a little more, they very quickly can't accept. Well, I couldn't accept the prosperity doctrine. And I discovered I had a, a fascination for history. Well, I'd always known it, but it, it legitimised it for me. 
And so as you start reading church history, then the Pentecostal movement has a, a very short history and one full of charlatans, <laughs> full of full of rogues. But church history as a whole was people have always been convinced that they've got the movement. They're the they're the ones. This is the end of times and we've got it right. Yeah. An inspiring historian, I start asking, well, what do I think I've got right that is probably wrong? And that kind of self-examination is not something that that anything in the Pentecostal movement <laughs> has ever encouraged. <laughs> And tell me about that process. So what, what happened for you? Because oh, Well, I, I'd given up on being a musician because I was convinced that God, the real calling was to preach. How did Frank feel about that? Well, Frank was not, you, you didn't put your hand up and say, I want to do this. It was like joining the Masons. You had to be asked. Frank did not ask anyone he thought could be a threat. Frank liked either very clean-cut Twinkie guys or very straight tall real estate agent types. And that's no coincidence either because they had a love for real estate, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. By the time I'm at Bible college, the whole prosperity movement is growing stronger and stronger. And I had studied enough theology to see it as utterly incompatible with, with the Christianity, with what I saw as historical Christianity. In reality, it was also incompatible with my lefty socialist utopian vision of late adolescence so that's interesting as well because it's it is about this redistribution of wealth but it's just to one set of people to do as they see fit yeah yeah it also was so exploitive the distribution i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, I saw single mothers not be able to pay their rent because they'd given to Frank. And Frank knew about this? Yeah, yeah. And uh, still took their money? Yeah. Now, by the mid-'80s, Frank is really admiring a fellow called Yongi Cho, yeah. a Korean. I actually played at, at the Horton Pavilion, <laughs> the, the worship band, when he came out to us. <laughs> I've been in Yongi Cho's backing band. <laughs> That's it's no small feat. It's <laughs> something for the CV. Yeah. yeah. He would say things like, you know, a, a pastor can't talk to everybody. Well, when you've got X hundred thousand that he claimed to understand, and I believe he's since been involved in some big scam and changed his name. So there was a distancing, you know, winners meet with winners. And so these poorer people, the, the little people, had to, well, they would go to their home fellowship leader who'd refer to the, the regional leader. And you're discouraged from taking those stories upline because they're bad faith. It's, it's not walking in victory. But what's not walking in victory? 
Sorry. Not being able to pay your rent. Oh, I see. <laughs> because the lie is, well, the the rhetoric was you give your money to these things and God will bless you. Press you down, have... shaken out and running over 10 times over. <laughs> you would have seen that over the longer term. Mm. It's heartbreaking. I mean, people lose mortgages. They... Oh, oh, it was, yeah. And these were people, people who cleaned banks at night or, or worked in very junior jobs in, in Woolworths, or giving large chunks of money to someone who's living in a house in Pimble and who's travelling around the world. And this is becoming, this does not sit well with my understanding of Christianity. And yeah. what's more, it's becoming, they're becoming blamed for it. This gets in with the whole word of faith healing movement, which has come in from a guy called Kenneth Copeland. Tell us about word of faith and prosperity theology, how that all Well, it's, it's all, you claim it. Yongi Cho was big on this too. You, you claim it and it will come to pass. So you speak a word in faith. I, I, I have problems. I slip into a kind of mocking rhetoric when I talk about this because that's, <laughs> that's how it works. And so are you sick? Well, confess the sin in your life, brother, sister, and you'll be healed. Well, it was just afterwards, my, my then father-in-law, who was the best thing about the marriage for me, again, a, a father or someone I really did look up to, he gets answer and dies. You, you can't say it's sin in someone's life. What kind of a, yep, that's all you need. Confess it and you'll be, you'll be healed. And I saw gay guys confessing and claiming that they were now straight. And I know they weren't. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work that way. Well, no, it turns out very much that it doesn't. How much were people aware of the conversion therapy stuff that was going on and and Frank's own sort of interest in it? Marginal, because what what people were really interested in was making, being a success, make my church grow. And and so this was a, it it was seen as sort of a proof that our church is doing something because gay people become straight. This is still pre-AIDS. We're in the heart of gay Sydney, but it, for the main, we, we could have been anywhere. We could have been okay. in the heart of Beecroft, any suburban place. They existed increasingly in a parallel world. So that's interesting because there's been a lot of questions about whether he deliberately chose Darlinghurst because he wanted to be surrounded by gay men. Or- I think he chose Darlinghurst for the same reason he chose the Hills. He was able to perhaps intuitively see this as being a good market. Because it sounds like that the Sydney church was almost a practice on the demographic to see what worked and what didn't yeah. work. Yeah, and through it he got a lot of people with skills and abilities that he needed to set up the thing which eventually became Hillsong, who would work for no charge at all and view him with nothing but admiration. Thank him for the privilege. Yeah. And if he walked past after I'd played and said, I could really feel your anointing tonight, young David, that meant the Lord really was upon your hands tonight. And he'd give you a hug. Oh, wow, I've done it. God's with me. It's great. That's oh, that's totally reasonable. Yeah, yeah. In that environment, that's a completely rational response. But you always knew if you stepped out of line, it would be withdrawn. It, it was nothing unconditional but that love and whatsoever. So at the end of my college time, I'm realising I'm never going to be a pastor in this system. and Because? Because I look like a musician, because I'm not going to wear a clean-cut suit 
have the yeah. look they were all wanting. By this stage, pastors, there's no more wearing jeans to church. You're wearing a nice 80s suit. You look like, I don't know, like like you're playing Toto at best. <laughs> <laughs> pastors are all getting streaks and that's all coming in and they're wearing suits. There was an expression we used, preaching suits. You've got your preaching suit. It's all changing. It's all changing. The preaching suit was... Oh, you'd still, if you go to church, look like a pastor. You go to school, you wear your school uniform, you're going to church, dress like a pastor, and you'll be a pastor eventually. What was the promise to people like you if you did become a pastor? Like what was the future to hold? Uh, preach preach God's word. Change society because Jesus, Jesus is coming back, making the world into what you want it to be, except progressively what Frank was wanting the world to be wasn't what many of us who'd been in the earliest days wanted it to be. I mean, you narrowed it down to when the house purchase happened and then from then on. It- yeah, he's flying to the US all the time. He's he's taking these TV preachers as seriously. And no, I couldn't. <laughs> you can't accept them as anything. Robert Schuller, Kenneth Copeland, the hucksters. There's no other word for what, what well- we were seeing. And then Jimmy Swagger goes, a Jimmy Backer, Praise the Lord Foundation, all these things. Are going. And this is has no relation to the Christianity that had attracted us. And that's within the space of? Five, six years, yeah. College, in the year below me came in a woman who was would have been in her 40s who had the last name of Hagen and was somehow related to Kenneth Hagen, the um, TV preacher. And in some way she fell foul of Frank after three or four months, not a long time at all. First year we were in the city and then they moved out of the Darlinghurst premises. They leased an old Magdalene sister's home and laundry at Tempe where they had their Bible college for a year, Mm. which somehow she fell foul of Frank and her visa was cancelled within a week or two and she shipped back to the US. And it was murmured that she'd said he was having an affair or had made a pass on her somebody my wife at the time saying well that's impossible you know pastor frank would never do that and i'm already thinking i couldn't imagine him making it on a woman but as a man i'm 24 i don't feel particularly safe around him i don't feel comfortable with him so you had that sense yeah yeah if 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 i went to see him in in counseling he'd want me to sit right next to him you there'd be you know thigh-to-thigh contact as he spoke to you. And I'd not forgotten the occasions he was asking me about masturbation, and which were apropos of nothing in the conversation I'd gone to see him. I'm At this stage, I'm thinking depression and onsetting OCD. Well, it's just a sign that I shouldn't be a musician. It'll all be okay when I'm preaching God's word. And I think for so many of us, the desire to be a pastor was a subconscious way of saying, if if I'm doing everything right for God, then things will be right for me. What else had you seen in people around you that had given you that sense as well that, I mean, you're obviously dealing with a very angry couple of people in authority and all kinds of changes going on. Yeah. Had you seen, I mean, I never saw things happening in other people's lives. I didn't know what they were going through at youth group. I thought everything was perfect for them all the time. And yet you're picking up on all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. In the course of this, on the Northern Beaches, a couple of people who got involved with youth fellowships, one of whom we were all praising because it 
sort of emerged, a very, very wealthy man in his mid to late 60s with a spectacular house overlooking Clontarf and Middle Harbour, who it was alleged, well, it was, it was said, had been getting it on with rent boys and, and male prostitutes, but now he'd found Jesus and all was, all was clear. And he would be asked, he had this, I remember going around there for dinner. He, he had a room that was just set up like clubhouse with pinball right. machines and because he'd, he'd found Jesus and it was all okay. But he would be ministering to young guys and wanting young guys from the youth fellowship to come uh, towards him. There, there was a whole Northern Beaches pedophile thing with Robert Dolly Dunn, the maths That's teacher right. who went to jail. This guy is is in the youth fellowship all these things were happening around and it just seemed the church just didn't want to know. All of a sudden you couldn't talk to Frank. He wasn't available. He wouldn't be there. It was, you know, you concentrate on what God's put before you and right now we're working at they were going to buy this property in Waterloo. And so there's all of these things going on around me that the church just didn't care about. They, they, Frank was moving on to other things. He was holidaying Disneyland and taking his grandchildren to there and they were building this, converting this warehouse factory in Waterloo to be their big new church. It was bad spirit and negative criticism. It's just that nearly 40 years later, some of this is just so identical to what people who have walked out of New York Hillsong last right. year yeah. can and I am quite fascinated by the effects that it has on people because we, like I said, we didn't have the data. You know, you didn't have anything to look at in 1985 to compare with. No, no. And uh, the idea of talking to people in New York, let alone you didn't talk to people who were <laughs> on the Central Coast. <laughs> oh, and that's such a big part of it because, and especially I think especially in Australia geographically, it's so spread out and how has that dynamic managed to filter down how does a church in boston have the same dynamic as a small town in ireland in the catholic church how does this dynamic filter down so much of it is unspoken and yet we're seeing the same results i think because humans are a lot more alike than we want to believe <laughs> we're not so special and so power and a thirst for it become to people in irrespective of context to some people it becomes attractive and then they they act in ways which are manipulative and what's that that pop figure of 10 percent of people or one percent of the population are sociopaths or something churches can provide religion can provide a very good structure a very good framework for these people to manipulate others. And I see the fear being the same as in New York as it was in Borkham Hills 40 years ago Yeah, or yeah. Sydney. Yeah, And Absolutely. how that transfers. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it Do you must... learn it at Bible college? I mean, what happens at Bible college that you learn how to kind of control people like that? I didn't know. No, you... You are controlled and observed more closely. Most of the CLC Bible College involved junior pastors coming and ranting for ninety minutes, and they were they were working their way up the ladder by being there to teach us. There was an attempt to look at some systematic theology, sort of systematic analysis of 
of what the belief systems were. But these were so barely formulated that it was very hard for them to do that. I mean, I remember a friend of mine going to Bible college in the early 90s and it was an incredibly rigorous system. You had to be there at eight. You can't be late. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be there at at howl at the ceiling in the appropriate worship times and (laughs) do all of those things. But academically, you couldn't call it rigorous in any way, shape or form. I mean, I wonder about all their accreditation now and their standard of education in the colleges now. When I was there, they had no accreditation. I'm sure that they've jumped through a lot more hoops. But having gone on to do a Bachelor of Theology and postgraduate diplomas, at Moore College in the Anglican system, which was arguably a lot more academic, I'd still have to say that a lot of it, a lot of it would hardly pass muster with a secular institution. I always presumed that that kind of a system would be the equivalent to, it goes through Sydney Uni. So I thought it was... In aspects, you had to get a good knowledge of New Testament Greek. And so... Linguistic studies were a lot of work and you can, um, I can still read the New Testament in the language it's written in. But at other levels, say studying history, studying church history, okay. the Reformation's presented in a very one-sided way. You could hardly, I, I very much doubt a historian could look at the way that was presented and say, well, it was an objective analysis. So you finished Bible college. Yeah. And have decided that... The road of the pastor is not going to be your road. It's not going to happen. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I drive taxis at night. I'm 25. I believe being a musician isn't what God wants me to do. And yet I feel I can't be a pastor. I don't know what to do. I have no skill. I work night shift on taxis. I like it because it's a sort of demi-monde. I get days off to daytime off to see my wife and other stage children mm-hmm. but I don't know what I'm going to do. Wow and we'll find out how things unfolded and what David did end up doing next on the final episode of An Irresistible Drug, David's Story. Leaving Hillsong will come out every Sunday evening five o'clock Sydney time but there'll be bonus episodes as well so stay tuned, keep track of social media, all the details will be there. Talk soon. Bye.